Hello, this is Co-Recursive, and I'm Adam Gordon-Bell. Today, on April 1st, 2014, something interesting happened. Hacker News moderator Dan G, or, or Dang, he made the following post. Challenge. Keep lame April Fool's jokes off the front page. Most April Fool's gags are lame. Only the very best ones that show some sort of ingenuity deserve attention. I propose that we, or rather you, flag these jokes so they don't end up on the front page. Dang wasn't the first person to complain about the lameness of tech company April Fool's Day jokes. But I think to the various developers and tech company people hanging out on Hacker News, Dang's statement was a really big one. It kind of marked the end of this era of companies dropping these big jokes on April Fool's. So today, in our first This Day in History segment, I want to share some of the history, not just of April Fool's, but of tech pranks in general. All leading up to that sort of cancellation statement by Dang, even right up to today, actually. Why were pranks and April Fool's jokes traditionally celebrated in tech, and why are they now considered, as Dang said, lame? That's today's question, and here to talk about those pranks, I have my frequent co-host and developer extraordinaire, possible neighbor, Don McKay, and also my favorite PhD candidate and mathematician, Crystal Mon. Why don't you guys say hello? Hi, I'm happy to be here. Hello. I would challenge your assumption that they died on that day. <laughs> I think we very much still see them today, and they're just as annoying today as they were in 2014. <laughs> I really like them because for me... Getting into tech in general was through things like hackerspaces and DEF CON. Maybe some of these jokes flop, but when they're great, they're really funny. That's kind of like the creative technical side of, of tech. And I think that those kind of things should be encouraged as long as they're not necessarily malicious. But yeah, like they're fun and lighthearted. That's the goal. But the reality is that everybody tries to do it and not everybody's good at it. So you have to spend the whole day sorting through what you think is real and what you think is just a joke. It becomes overhead. Like the good that it brings does not outweigh like the damage that it does. So this is fun because I'm going to tell you guys this history, but you guys are on like opposite sides of this issue where Crystal's like, these are awesome. This, this makes, this makes tech people into humans, not just like, you know, efficiency robots. And Don's like, whatever, man. If you need a day to make yourself human, then you've probably failed. So, th- so we start in 2014, right? So in 2014, you know, Dan G, very much coming from a Don perspective, he's like, listen, I don't want these things all over my news page, right? This isn't news. But, but April Fool's pranks are like an old tradition. In fact, April Fool's goes way back, you know, predating tech companies and, and engineering departments. But, but I don't really care about that. I want to talk just kind of about the, the engineering coding side of it. For me, the, the guy who started it all off was uh, Steve Wozniak from Apple Computers. He goes by Woz because there was two Steves. So, so one was Jobs and one was Woz. He just loved pranks. And in fact, he met Steve Jobs because his friend said, oh, you should meet this guy, Steve Jobs. He also likes pranks. In 1969, he went to university and he built a, a VHF jammer. So like he built a small box that had like a switch. And if you flicked it, it would block the VHS signals by just making noise. Pretty sure this is totally illegal. This is the thing that the FTC warns you about, <laughs> but, but that's what he did. And so he would go into like the TV lounge at his university when people are watching TV. And then when somebody would get up or move, he would flip the switch and the channel would kind of go out of focus. 
And then that person would be like, oh, no, I'm interfering with the antenna somehow, right? And so they would kind of freeze in place. And then he would flip the switch back off and the, the channel would go back down. And he would just be sitting in the back of the room while people watch TV, just chuckling quietly to himself. At some point, he had some guy like holding his hands up above his head because he thought that was the only way he could get the TV to focus because <laughs> Waz kept flipping the switch back and forth. I just think that's hilarious. You can just imagine he just like quietly chuckling to himself, making these people do ridiculous things in a build up to a big gotcha moment. Haha, <laughs> it's me. I have this button. So I think that he's the patron saint of, of tech pranks. Like he's been doing them since the 60s. And, you know, like whenever you pull like a really good spirited prank, I think that you're, you're temporarily embodying this 1960s Waz who I assume spent hours over a, a soldering gun building this VHF, you know, thing. And, I think that the tech pranks can't be all totally lame because then you're saying like Steve Wozniak is lame and, and he's just a hilarious, weird guy. I don't know. There's like the, the corporate side of engineering and then there's like the kind of prank side, which still allows you to like have that joy, you know, so even if you like burning out or you feel like I loved programming, or I loved doing this stuff, but I don't know if I want to do it forever. But like the joy of being able to pull pranks, I think, is brings that back in little ways. Yeah, it just makes it fun, right? It's just being a human. Steve Wozniak was really motivated by just doing these weird things. And they weren't all like funny, but they were all just like, oh, this would, this would be cool if I stuck these things together. Or yeah, the blue box, Jobs and Woz built these machines for making free long distance phone calls. It's a victimist crime if you're outwitting the phone company. <laughs> Except for the phone company. <laughs> well, the phone company is not a person. It's a group of people and they post record profits every year. So if I can make a free phone call, it's probably not going to hurt anybody. So that's 1969. We're moving through history. In, in 1977, this is the next notable prank. Also, Steve Wozniak. Woz was finished university. He had met jobs. He had done all these blue boxes. They had built the Apple One like computer kit. They were part of this like homebrew computer club. They built the Apple II, like an actual commercial product. They had investors. That This big thing that was going to happen for them was called the West Coast Computer Fair. Steve Jobs was going to announce their Apple II. It was the big uh, event that was going to change everything. So it was a huge moment for Apple. But, but what Woz did is he went and he created a flyer for a fake rival computer company for a computer that was way more powerful than the Apple II. And in fact, kind of made them look bad. And he called it the Zaltair. So he made this flyer. He typed up all the lame marketing language. He printed out thousands of them, spent a lot of money printing out all these flyers, handed them all out at the trade show while nobody was looking to make sure they didn't see it was him, right? And he just thought this was hilarious. And then like Steve Jobs got one and was like freaking out. This computer's better than ours, but he's like, oh, maybe we'll still sell because we're better on these certain things. And, and while Steve and the other people at Apple were freaking out, Woz was just like holding in his laughter, right? Because this computer didn't exist. And he was just laughing hysterically to himself. The commitment is kind of huge, right? He printed out thousands of flyers. He had to probably go to a printing place and like get them to all lay it out. So on the flyer, he put the name of a real computer company called MITS, which made the Altair. So it made it seem kind of real. And then people started to ask them about the computer and they were like, oh, we don't, we don't really know about it. And then people started to phone in to like order it and they couldn't get this computer. He didn't say like, haha, I got you. He just kept it quietly to himself for years. But on Steve Jobs' birthday, years later, when Apple was a successful company, he framed up the flyer and like wrapped it up and gave it to him as a gift. And then Steve Jobs unwrapped it. And I assumed it was like, why are you giving me an old flyer, right? 
And then what I assume what happened is, is Waz just like broke out hysterically laughing. And then slowly in Jobs' head, he rewinded and thought like, oh, he got me like years ago. We were all freaking out about this fake competitor that was going to crush us. He's playing the long yeah, game. Yeah, it was like the super <laughs> long game, right? For years. I just imagine for years, probably as he was laying in bed, you know, falling asleep, he would occasionally think of that prank he pulled and how he didn't tell them it was a joke yet and just burst out laughing. This isn't like we do it on April 1st. And then on April 2nd, we say, gotcha. This is like, I'm going to do this for years. <laughs> yeah, that's not an April Fool's joke. That's that's just a prank that he invested in. <laughs> right? <laughs> but I think that this tradition of like engineers doing funny pranks, right? This is kind of where the, the tech April Fool's jokes come from. This is kind of where they were born, I guess. Yeah, there are also a lot of like the NASA scientists do a lot of those pranks as well. I was reading about some of the earlier ones, like the, the fake cockroach in space, you know, that they, they put out and they're like, oh my goodness, a cockroach got into to the, our spacecraft and it was like, no, it was a fake one. <laughs> JPL did this thing where they were building the Mars rover because they build a lot of robotic spacecraft in at JPL, and which is a jet propulsion lab- laboratory in Pasadena. And they hid on the wheels the letters JPL in Morse code uh. so that when the rover was traveling on, this, on the Martian terrain, it would you would see like JPL. Supposedly, when the other main NASA office found out, they were pissed because you, you know you're not supposed to differentiate any particular office uh, or uh, location more than another. But JPL is kind of known as like the rebel um, NASA facility. So yeah, they were pretty pissed about that. But that's like a nice example of like I don't know, like a hack. I think. Yeah, like it doesn't have to be hilarious. It's not like stand-up comedy. It's like just doing something fun and, and silly and yeah. And clever. Part of it is the like good ones are that they're clever. Yeah, yeah. So like the next prank that came to mind for me, you guys have probably heard of this one, is the, the Internet Engineering Task Force in, in 1990. They're responsible for the TCP IP stack, all the internet RFCs, requests for comments. So April 1st, 1990, they released a standard for transmission of IP datagrams over avian carriers. So that was uh, AKA IP over pigeon. So they have a, a complicated spec that no. explains how, yeah. how you can transmit internet packages over pigeon. Okay, let me read you this because I think it's hilarious. Here, I'm gonna use my kind of like McDonald's drive-through voice here. Avian carriers can provide high delay, low throughput and low altitude service. I'll take a, I'll take a quarter pounder. <laughs> <laughs> the carriers have an intrinsic collision avoidance system, which increases availability. The IP datagram is printed on a small scroll of paper in hexadecimal with each octet separated by white stuff and black stuff. The scroll of paper is wrapped around one leg of the avian carrier. A band of duct tape is used to secure the datagram's edges. Upon receipt, the duct tape is removed and the paper copy of the datagram is optically scanned into an electronically transmittable form. I like how much work they put into this, right? And it's like, like part of the joke has to be the format. Like these guys are experts at writing this like really dry, cannot be misinterpreted verbiage. So like when they do the joke, it has to be like, it has to like nail that kind of like dry format. This is called RFC 1149 because they're all numbered, right? The best thing about RFC 1149 is people use it in conversation to troll other people. If somebody is proposing some feature, you know, like, oh, we're going to change how the routing works on the back end, and you have no idea what they're talking about, you can always say, oh, well, how will this take into account RFC 1149? 
And then they'll probably be like, oh, I have no idea what this guy's talking about. So let me just say like, oh, let me look into that. And then later (laughs) they'll hit you up on Slack. (laughs) WTF, man. (laughs) And then so like jumping forward in April 28th in 2001 in Norway, this is maybe getting more at this, the spirit that I really like uh, of these jokes. They successfully implemented IP over Pigeon and, and they sent a ping request. I found pictures. I'll put the pictures on the podcast page. But they successfully sent a ping request using pigeons. So they they had nine packets, which were you know nine carrier pigeons, and they received fifty five percent packet loss, which they don't explain, but I think means they lost most of their pigeons. <laughs> oh <laughs> like, no! They maybe they're not good with carrier pigeons. Like fifty five percent loss seems like a lot, especially when these are actual animals. <laughs> I don't think the carrier pigeons were that reliable. So I think they they did have to send out multiple pigeons with the same message to try and ensure that it would get to its destination. Oh, Um, this is like error correcting codes for pigeons. (laughs) Well, that's the great thing. The TCP has like retries and stuff, right? Like, so it actually can can work over a lossy channel when pigeons (laughs) just leave, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) They get distracted. I don't know what happened to all those pigeons, but the the Internet Engineering Task Force, the people for all these RFCs, they're a very serious and, and proper organization. They have a process for the process and documentation for the process of the process. And so they actually had to lay out a process for how the April Fool's RFCs work. The RFC editor accepts submissions of properly formatted April Fool's Day RFCs from the general public and considers them for publication in the same year received. Note that in past years, the RFC editor has sometimes published serious documents with April 1st dates. Readers who cannot distinguish satire by reading the text may have a future in marketing. Oh, no. (laughs) They're like, if you don't know these are jokes, then we have bigger problems here. So so Google totally picked up this spirit uh, of these RFCs. In a direct nod to that RFC, they launched Pigeon Rank. They launched a website explaining... That Google was, in fact, powered by pigeons. As a Google user, you're familiar with the speed and accuracy of Google search. How exactly does Google manage to find the right results for every query as quickly as it does? The heart of Google's search technology is Pigeon Rank, a system for ranking web pages developed by founders Larry Page and Sergey Brin while they were at Stanford University. What are the challenges of operating so many pigeon clusters? PCs. Nat- <laughs> <laughs> no. Pigeons naturally operate in dense populations, as anyone holding a pack of peanuts in an urban plaza is aware. <laughs> the, this compactability enables Google to pack enormous numbers of pigeon processors into small spaces, with rack after rack stacked in our data coops. While this is optimal from the standpoint of space conservation and pigeon contentment, it does create issues during molting season when large fans must be brought in to blow the feathers out of the data coop. Removal of other pigeon byproducts was a greater challenge. Until Page and Brin developed a groundbreaking technology for converting poop to pixels. That's right. (laughs) No. (laughs) That's right. The tiny dots that make up a monitor's display. The clean white background of Google's homepage is in fact powered by this renewable process. So what does that make dark mode? Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) I think that's awesome, right? Yeah. It's just an announcement on their website somewhere, right? And it's most funny for people who understand that like PageRank, which also starts with PR, is their actual algorithm that they invented at Stanford. They're pointing back at RFC 1149 and saying like, listen, we can do these fun jokes too. 
Yeah, I mean, that was, that was a good one. Yeah, I liked it. So this is like, in the timeline, like, I think we're still in this era where, like, the internet's small, and, like, these things can be funny because the internet's mostly used by, by like, tech-savvy people, right? There's no smartphones or, or, or whatever, right? I don't know, Don, are we winning you over at all with these jokes being funny? <laughs> no. No, I think April Fools is is just a it, it's it's open season for everybody to try and do a prank and not everybody knows how to do it right and there are sometimes serious consequences to everybody trying to prank somebody. And yeah, we get some cool funny gems, but we get like a lot of things that just don't work or or had bad consequences. Do you remember when Google had the mic drop feature that oh, they put in? Yeah. I'm going to explain it. So in 2016, Google added this mic drop button to Gmail on April Fool's. So next to the send button was a button called mic drop, which they explained in a PR announcement. But like who's busy reading the April Fool's PR announcements, right? You're just like in your email doing email stuff. And so if you hit that button, the idea was that it would end all communication, right? You're basically saying like this discussion is over. So it would it would block you from getting notifications from this email chain. But it would also, to let the other people know that you weren't going to talk to them ever again, it inserted an animated GIF of one of the minions from Despicable Me, like dropping a mic mic. into the (laughs) message. And one of the big mistakes they made is you hit the button and the email closed. You didn't see that they had inserted this animated GIF into the email. And and they didn't, yeah, they didn't ask you, do you want to do this, right? Or, oh, just so you know, like this is the April Fool's joke. that you're about to do. It's like, no, it's just gone, right? It's, you press the button and away it goes. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. On Twitter, there was this one, I took a screenshot of it. The email says, funeral arrangements for Katie. This makes me want to laugh, but I don't think it's something I can laugh about. The email says, Melanie, we're so very sorry to hear of your tragic loss of your daughter. And then they inserted a minion in it. It was a funeral home. So they they lost the business because oh, no. they accidentally inserted a minion into the, the condolences message. That's the, the danger of April Fool's is sometimes things that you think are good natured aren't. And sometimes you don't foresee the consequences for jokes and they can be it can be quite terrible. Yeah. So Google ended up issuing a public apology for, for this in 2016. And it was probably helpful because people could say, hey, sorry about that email you know, look at this, Google has apologized for it. But even people who love a joke when they're reading the news don't necessarily want to joke inside of their, like, business application. It's kind of like they got the venue wrong for the joke. And a lot of people on April Fool's are just, like, they might have a lot of stress. They might be just trying to get through something, maybe finish a project, and the internet is just drowned in jokes. And you're trying to just get your job done. No. And you just, there's just jokes everywhere. There's evidence of that going back even like way back in the day. I think there were stories of like people faking their deaths and making everyone think they were dead and then being like, April Fool's, right? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it's it, like similar to like a Rick Roll or something. When you have like a day where you're telling everybody and you're giving them license essentially to try and prank everybody, a lot of pranks are mean. Or mean spirited, make people feel bad. They make they a lot of people don't know the difference between having like a prank that is a good natured one or or like a good faith one and a bad faith one, where you're just making fun of somebody or you're making them feel terrible. And it's for a lot of people who maybe have certain quirks or or disabilities, like they get made fun of a lot on April Fool's Day. 
and it's just a bad thing. Like I have, I have some OCD and I liked my desk to be exactly perfect. Right. (laughs) And I worked at a place where a lot of people thought that this was something that they should make fun of. So they like would steal the like figurines that I had on my desk and they would like hide them around the office. And that was an April fool's joke. Right. But no, it just made me upset and everyone laughed. Right. It's like, Oh yay, April fool's. Right. So like, that's just something that happens on a day, but that can be magnified across the entire world. So you get like a couple good stories, but there are a lot of bad stories that don't make the news. There are a lot of people that feel like crap on April fool's day. No, I think you're right. Being a dick isn't an April Fool's joke. Like, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> a lot of people think that's what April Fool's is, is just being a bad person. The, this RFC joke is a joke that's targeted at people who are reading the engineering RFCs. And it's kind of making yeah. fun of themselves, right? It's saying like, oh, look at how like silly and specific we are that we can come up with a very specific way that you might transmit things over pigeons, right? But yeah, it's hilarious, and like I, it's really funny. I like that one. But like the the worst April Fool's jokes in my mind are kind of like that. Somebody like kind of insults you, and then just says, "Oh, just kidding." Like, yeah, April Fools. Yeah, like that's yeah. not really that's not really a joke. Do you remember Google Glass? They did a product video for this thing they called Google Glass Cardboard. Because remember, Google Cardboard was like a goggles. For VR? Yeah, it was just like a holder, basically, It was for your a phone. box. Like, this is this be real? Anyways, they made a, a video, like a high production value video for this thing they called Google Glass Cardboard. And it was just, it was basically like really dorky safety glasses that you would wear on your head. And it just had some holes in the side. People were like trying it on and being amazed. The whole video was just kind of poking fun at the fact that they're kind of dorky and kind of miss the idea of what's an acceptable consumer product. I think that's when you nail an April Fool's joke, right? When you're like, hey, there's this thing about us that people think, and we can kind of poke fun at ourselves. Like, we understand that we're viewed in this way. Anyways, the the Minion thing was horrible, right? But, But another horrible April Fool's joke I saw, I found on Stack Overflow. This took place on April Fool's in 2013. And it's on a Stack Overflow site called Workplace, where people discuss like workplace issues. So let me share this, and you can read it for us, Don. I jokingly told my manager I quit via email. As an April Fool's joke, we get along pretty well normally. Well, it seems my joke was taken a bit too seriously as I just got an automated email from HR with a checkout procedures and an invite to a few checkout meetings later this week as well. My company has also been letting a lot of people go recently, so I am worried that this is an excuse to have that happen to me. I can see my manager responding in a like fashion, but the HR communication worries me. He is also on vacation this week, so I cannot ask him directly, which would be ideal. How can I determine if I am actually being fired or my boss is just playing along? This is like more something you'd find on Reddit, I feel like. So he told his boss he quit as like a joke, but then his boss went on vacation, so he didn't get to tell him it was April Fool's joke. Yeah, I think his email was probably forwarded to whoever was covering for him, and they're like, okay, I guess this person's done, right? <laughs> That's what it sounds like. The funny thing is, I think this is yeah, like an amazing April Fool's Day fail, or very possibly this guy made this up and he's pulling an April Fool's joke on the workplace stack overflow, right? Like it's not clear. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there any res- resolution or more information later on down the thread? 
Top voted answer on Stack Overflow Workplace. The best plan of attack will be to slap your boss. Slapping people is pretty common <laughs> and will help make it clear that you're only joking. If this doesn't work, try sleeping with your boss's wife. It is also an effective way to make it sure that you're joking. Yeah, I think they've determined that it's it's yeah. not real. So there's just, but yeah. That, that's the voted answer. But there's also like, probably before they figured out there was a joke, there's people who are like, call your boss immediately and indicate in no uncertain terms that the email was a joke. It, this was an incredibly bad idea, by the way. And you're concerned that it's being taken seriously. The risk of being a sucker and falling for his automated HR email prank is much less disastrous than actually losing your job over a poorly thought out joke. Okay, I don't know who these people are, but like HR doesn't make jokes. Like that's like that's not a thing, right? Oh, the no. the last place on the planet that would ever HR make a will joke. Not send you a fake firing email as a joke like that. No, like, like that's. That's what I'm, there's probably a policy that says that HR is not allowed yeah. to joke like that. My company was also letting off people at the same time. This seems like the perfect time. Okay, I found, I found what I think is the worst April Fool's Day fail. And so much so that I don't think I want to say the name of the company. Company X. So there, there is a tech service company. And, and yeah, I won't name them. I'll go with Company X. And they do this thing where you send them a picture, like a digital photograph, and they have it hand-painted, like hand-oil-painted by an artist. But on April 1st, 2016, they posted this message on their website. X Company, now child labor-free. <laughs> At X Company, we pride ourselves in being the most progressive oil painting service in the world. Today, we are proud to announce that yet again, we are leading the way in innovative, progressive, and sustainable business practices. As of April 1st, 2015, your photos will no longer be painted by children. No children are allowed to touch or even look wow. at your paintings. We challenge all of our competitors to do the same. So at the end of that April Fool's message, there's like a whole bunch of line breaks, dot, 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 dot. And then further down the page, it says this, which you should read again, Don. April Fools, all of our child artists are still gainfully employed. Oh no. <laughs> yeah. It's funny how bad it is yeah. to me. I don't know. That's like Yeah. It, it just reminds me of like like living in LA, you know, and you some of my friends had like a, a gig at the Laugh Factory. They're they're trying for the first time to like start their, their comedic career. <laughs> you know, I wanna laugh because you're my friend, but if you weren't my friend, I wouldn't laugh at this at all kind of thing. Yeah, exactly, right? Might want to refine your material a little bit <laughs> before you go up in front of strangers. Another reason I think these jokes failed, they just like left the realm of tech joke, right? The joke isn't really like a, a nerdy tech joke made to other developers. It's like made to the people who are ordering paintings on their website. It may very well be concerned that they're like getting children to paint them, right? The mic drop thing, like the Google Minion thing, it wasn't just like a, a funny press release hidden on their website somewhere, right? It was like in everybody's Gmail. And the button was like right next to the send button. So you could easily hit it by accident. That's why the backlash uh, against all these jokes, right? When the, when your audience is too big, it's really hard to execute well. The, the stakes are a lot higher. Comedians talk about this all the time too, right? Like when they have this kind of niche audience, they're able to make all these kind of very like risque jokes and then they get like a show on a network on a major network and then all of a sudden um they just kind of bomb hard 
So I, I feel like you could kind of have that as an analogy to like the Google thing too, where maybe it was like two or three people or just passing around jokes. And all of a sudden you have like a larger company. People have this expectation that it's a thing. Maybe they threw some money or like, you know, they're like, oh, here's like, you know, a hundred thousand dollars to like plan the April Fool's joke thing that Google does. And it's like a team thing and they have meetings about it and they like have scrum and they argue back and forth about like what the joke would be. And then all of a sudden they're like, task (laughs) it's like, you know, you could file like bug reports and like the, you know, and all this stuff. And then all of a sudden it becomes kind of very bureaucratic and not that funny. Yeah. It's easy when you're small to have like a personality, right? There's like people behind this company and we can be funny and we can make jokes. But I have good news. Like, I think that April Fools can be reborn. So in the 2010s, these like jokes that were funny or, or weren't funny continued, but, but some places found like a better venue for them. Do you guys know Subversion? Subversion is like source control from before Git. So Subversion still exists. It's still a good product, but basically everybody uses Git now. It's an Apache project. Apache uses Jira. So they have like issues.apache.org and it's just a Jira ticket thing. On April 1st, 2013, the following ticket appeared. Migrate Apache subversion over to Git. Oh no. (laughs) (laughs) Vote passed. Not happy, but here we go. Infrastructure team, please migrate our repository over to Git. Not sure what else you guys need. Haven't exactly studied up on this migration process, but please let me know. So in the comments of this ticket... Uh, a fight broke out. Oh, no. When did this vote happen? You should all know better than having these type of votes on a private list. I, for one, am incredibly surprised and shocked that Greg, of all people, would let this happen. I'm sorry, but there's no excuse for this. And then there was back and forth that made it sound like they were being contacted for the press. I just received a phone call about this. Who is on task for handling press inquiries? I have to admit that I have no freaking idea what's going on, and this does not make me happy, nor does it look good for us. This goes on just like people fighting in a in a ticket. <laughs> and then on April 2nd, they updated the title to say like April Fools. And they updated the ticket to say it was a joke. And the people arguing in the ticket, they were just pretending. <laughs> oh, okay. So like everybody yeah. was in on the joke. That's hilarious. Yeah. That's awesome. And I think it's hilarious because they got that audience rate, as Don was saying, right? This is only people who are like reading the Jira issues. It probably spread around like people would. Yeah, would share it because it's like, oh, they're getting in this argument and whatever. But, you know, the New York Times is not reading the issue tracker for Subversion. I like how like, they make mention of actual people. They're like, hey, Greg wouldn't let this happen. <laughs> yes. Greg, where's Greg on this? Yeah, Greg, tell Greg to call me ASAP. This is the resurgence of April Fool's Day. It's just a fun in-joke with, with developers. So in 2002, on the Linux kernel mailing list, there was another one. The Linux kernel works like you, you send in patches, right? There's like patch requests and then, you know, there's like a complicated process that it might get applied. So in 2002, Paul McKenney sent a patch and the email body of the patch read like this. Despite what you might have heard, the mind-numbing complexity of modern computing systems is not so much due to there being multiple CPUs, but rather to there being any CPUs at all. In short, for the <laughs> ultimate in computer system simplicity, the optimal choice is number of CPUs equals zero. <laughs> So he sent in a patch that updates the Linux kernel so that it only supports zero CPUs. So the number of configurable CPUs must always be zero. This change has the beneficial side effect of rendering all kernel bugs harmless. Furthermore, this commit enables additional beneficial changes. For example, the removal of all parts of the kernel that are not needed for a computer with zero CPUs. 
Oh, no. Yeah. I mean, people that are reviewing it are going to catch it, right? It's because the yeah. joke is meant for them. Yeah, it has like a, it has a narrow audience. This is hilarious to people who work on the Linux kernel. It's not a marketing stunt. So in 2015, like several years later on the mailing list, Frederick Weissenbeck sent a follow-up patch that followed from that one and allowed support for negative CPUs. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> so he said on that one, with this change, programming gets even more simpler because you have less CPUs to worry about. Negative one CPUs is less CPUs than zero. That, that is, in fact, true. <laughs> and then, wait, he also said, now keep in mind that this is only a draft. I do not yet have hardware to test this on. <laughs> He's got to wait for his negative one CPU. I, I think that these jokes have always been around. And the only ones we hear about on April Fool's Day are the ones that the you know main publications and media pick up. I think we're in like the, the golden age of these developer-to-developer engineering ones. They don't even have to be pranks and they don't even have to be on april fools like sometimes it's just doing something absurd right like you know like edwin brady who created idris the programming language like before that he created yeah. the programming language white space where you could only program it using white space right and it's like <laughs> i think he put a lot of work into that like probably not years of work but this is a big commit for a chuckle right he's totally um embodying that like steve wozniak thing where he's like sitting writing a compiler and just like slowly laughing to himself i hope somebody thinks this is funny <laughs> besides me right when i release this and there's there's so many other things like that right somebody released uh cobol on cogs which was like a web framework for for using cobol to make websites and somebody made an intercal one intercal is like a joke programming language that nobody should ever use Yes. <laughs> and they made like a web framework for it. And I myself actually made a, a Docker front end where you could build Docker files using Intercal. It wasn't on April Fool's, but I just thought it was funny, right? Like, and I, <laughs> nobody else really thought it was funny besides me, but it, I still enjoyed making it. Have you ever made a pull request for the to the Docker people to be like, hey, this is a thing I made. You should merge it. No, <laughs> I, I feel like pull requests are, they're absolutely the perfect venue for these type of jokes because it's like it's targeting the right type of people. Like if you work on the Kubernetes project, for instance, and Kubernetes involves just writing a, a ton of YAML to like get it working, right? If you were a core contributor and on April 1st, you raised a PR that was like, hey, I rewrote Kubernetes and YAML because I know that like Kubernetes people like YAML so much. So, <laughs> right? <laughs> like, <laughs> I would love that. <laughs> <laughs> or like, you know, like I, I'm doing a lot of Go programming now and the error handling is really verbose. And with Rob Pike, who created Go, like if he proposed on April 1st, an even more verbose way to handle errors, that would be hilarious. It doesn't even need to be for the wider internet. You could just on April 1st, like raise a PR for your internal project you work on and tag your buddies on it and see if they notice that this is like an absurdly bad idea that you've that you've put together, right? They don't. It, it gets approved. And then you're like, oh, no. <laughs> you have to. Like I feel like it, it's also dependent on like your work environment. So I'm thinking back about the NASA scientists and there's this kind of engineering culture that balances the fact that they're working on like mission critical stuff. So it's like, oh, this has to be perfect. And um, this is mission critical. You have to kind of balance that off with another side and I feel like the the joking that they had and that kind of culture was a nice balance yeah I totally agree do you feel that like April Fool's Day has been like kind of like skunked is April Fool's over like, like tech tech joke April Fool's is it over I think you you hit the nail on the head when you said that it got um, co-opted by uh, marketing interests 
So that's what it becomes primarily now is just like a way of pushing a marketing agenda. So it'll never go away because it's always going to get attention, right? If you need to get your word out um, about something specific, if you come up with a crazy April Fool's thing on April Fool's Day, then some media publications might pick it up when normally maybe they wouldn't have. What do you think, Crystal? I, in my heart, I just, I don't know. I, I love jokes. Interestingly, my cousin has... She always, like for years, she's fooled me into thinking that her birthday was an April Fool's and I fall for it every single year. It's so bad. I feel like, I don't know, like I, I like tech and I like this space because we're able to kind of balance, you know, technical expertise and, and with just being able to have fun and like all this just feels like fun to me. So I hope it, I really hope that it hasn't peaked, you know, it's not like peak April Fool's joke because I I want it to be here for a long time. I I don't think it's peaked. I think that the real April Fool's is the one that you share with your, your friends and your family. And, you know, maybe you're, if you have a close knit community, that's, that's the real April Fool's and everything else on top of it is just, you know, you can ignore all that stuff. You could just pour concrete into your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want people to feel like I shouldn't try to do these fun things. Don't try to do a giant marketing thing if you work at a $10 billion company. But yeah, like make a joke on the, on the project that you work on, right? Like, like propose something funny and target it towards your people. I'm not a stand-up comedian. I can't make a joke that makes everybody laugh but like we have a shared culture i can make jokes that can make you guys laugh so i think people should keep doing it the real joke is that adam tells us he's not releasing the episode yes (laughs) then i will send you a pigeon (laughs) that's awesome that's the real joke so this seems like a good place to end it thank you don and crystal for joining me You can find both of them on Twitter or on the Slack channel for the podcast. Also, if you like this spirit that Crystal was telling us about of joyful, playing around, enjoying your work, do me a huge favor and share this podcast with somebody who you think might enjoy it. You know, share it in your off-topic channel at work or share it with a bunch of trolls on Discord and they will either get better or worse at playing these pranks. If you want more co-recursive content, there is a monthly newsletter I send out and you can follow me on Twitter. But most importantly, you can support me on Patreon. I haven't actually said all the things I have to say about tech pranks, surprisingly enough. And on the 15th, I'll share some of my favorite pranks that didn't make it into this episode as a bonus for Patreon supporters. And until next time, and I, I say this totally sincerely, thank you so much for listening.